Exactly. Man, not tell us about yourself. Where did you start to tell us about yourself? My name. My name is Valentine. Do I speak of my crippling addictions? I'm an alcoholic. I need to go. I need to go. I got a bunch of addictions. And that makes the person cool, but I know the coffee is going to be short. You make it so open, it's like. But my, I name, think, my name is Valentine. I've been trying to get off coke for the past four years. Actually, you want to lie in the green green skin thing? I'm not going to start because I just lost my train of thought. You said you were going to stop me. Right, 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 right. I don't even know what show I'm on. Wow, 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 this is embarrassing. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Tech Chat, which is where we talk about all things tech technical tech adjacent um so last episode was a conversation about uh, safe technologies is, uh, what was it again yeah it was safe oh the rf rf television rf tv so basically this dude decided he's going to create a radio frequency power tv okay i can see by your eyes you're like nah nah it can't be possible i'm like okay <laughs> tell me more so we saw the, the, the tv right and there was no demo video to see actually actually works so it was something we did yet well yesterday. Well, in the context of today is yesterday. So it's, it was last episode. It brought a lot of what can I say? Um, contentious debate amongst the Texan people. Mm-hmm. They were like, some people believed in him. He's Zimbabwe's Elon Musk. Other people didn't. They were mm-hmm. like, nah, he's skeptical. How, how how have you not seen a demo? He's changed the world. Um, yeah. Where's his Nobel laureate? So please listen to that one. Uh, we spent forty minutes of it, forty hard minutes of research. Our days of research. I'm joking. It was a conversation the night before, and we decided just to press record. Um, but yeah, it, it's really interesting to see what Zimbabweans are doing out there. And I'm Valentine, by the way. You know my voice by now. I'm joined by someone who I'm going to let introduce themselves um, because I'm stopping the process of making guests redundant. Yeah, thank you. They can speak uh, for themselves. Yes. So I'm Taku, Taku Shamu, or Taku Shamu. Um, yeah, I'm coming on this show as a developer. Um, but obviously I'm much more than that, but I'll try to scope it to like that aspect of my life because I think that's the most interesting. Why are you limiting us? We want to know all about you, man. <laughs> okay, I'll try to be a bit more diverse. <laughs> but I think this is like the most interesting part and probably like the most useful stuff that I can share. Okay. Also, I'm hoping yeah, my, exp- my, my experiences can also help someone out there or inspire some people. Especially a lot of Zimbabweans because I see like the Zimbabwean tech space is uh, a bit... Mm. Leave something to be desired. But yeah, I'm coming on the show as a developer and also as a human being. So I have like a very human side. So I'll tell you about my pets. Uh, yeah, yeah, my know. hobbies and and all that fun stuff. So you're a, you're a remote dev, or well, you're a dev who's remotely in Zimbabwe because you said I'm son of the soil, which <laughs> doesn't make sense. Once you've made it out, don't come back. Mm, yes, that is. Uh, yeah, that is the theory of it. That is it. But here you are breaking the theory. You're literally back in a country that's, you know, if the last, like, I have this joke, or a joke, a friend of mine told this joke. He's like, Zimbabwe is a country where we should all just leave, and the last person now just light a match and close the door. <laughs> because it's a dumpster fire. While we're there, we might as well make it a proper dumpster fire. I wouldn't want, <laughs> I wouldn't want to go on record to say that. But I will say. Man's wants to go back on a plane. <laughs> yeah. But I will say I like it here. I mean, okay, yeah, it's great having like exposure, like external exposure, international exposure. But um, I think like culturally, I'm still very Zimbabwean. 
I resonate a lot more with the lifestyle that's here. Yeah. And it's also just like the life that I'm used to. Uh, just waking up and just looking around and see yourself in the next person and not like realize that you're different or you're like from a different culture or you like different music or you like different food. Just being like part of the community. I think that's the biggest reason why I'm here still. Um, uh, accompanied with other things. Yeah. So let's get into the dev work. Um, yeah. How does a developer who was born in Zimbabwe end up in one of the most progressive European or progressive countries in the world? Because we hear about you know the Scandinavian countries mm-hmm. and that their model is so very different from what the rest of the world is. You've yeah. been watching the news. America is, is just resisting mm-hmm. moving towards yeah. what they call democratic socialism. Exactly. So how does how does someone from Zimbabwe make it out to a part of the world that is one cold because most Zimbabweans don't like the cold. Yeah, yeah. And two super progressive and how was the adjustment to the entire process? Oh, that's a very gems question. Um, yeah, I don't know if uh, if there's like a process to this, but I'll just give you like my own personal experience. So we're for. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it was not easy. I in, so I didn't start off like I started off working here. I think I worked in Zimbabwe for about four years at two different companies, uh, which I loved. And they set the foundation and the groundwork for me to be able to be valuable internationally and to be able to like bring something to the table. Like when I walk into those interviews, I have something to say, which like these external recruiters can actually desire. Um, so yes, yeah, so, yeah, so I think me having worked here was like very, very fundamental in accruing those years of experience just having acquiring some skill that I'm able to like sell in market. Um, there, there's a lot of other avenues. A lot of people go abroad for study's sake, uh, which is also like a very viable path. But I personally, I didn't want to take that one because I didn't want to be living abroad on a student's budget. That, that anxiety, man. <laughs> yeah. No, because yeah. my budget was fifty bucks a month. Exactly. <laughs> and you can never stitch fifty bucks a month trying to have fun. Yeah. Or yeah. trying to study. Yeah. And all your friends are getting, you know, very, very envious type ones. Yeah. Like, guys getting four hundred, five hundred bucks a month. And here you are, knowing that if you spend half of this, it's noodles until the month end. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So fun little story. I did live on a student budget for like my first month <laughs> before I had before I had gotten my first salary. Okay. And you know, like coming from an African salary and then going to like one of these really um, first world countries where like everything is super expensive. Like everything on average is like six times the cost. Mm. And I remember leaving his mother with like $90 to my name. My brother was supposed to send me more money, but then there were like a, there was like problems like the, between the African and the European banking system. So I had to somehow make do with like $90 to my name. And then I get to this airport. Um, and me being oblivious, coming from Zimbabwe, there's no, there are no trains, there are no metros, there are just combis or taxis. So the first thing that I can comes to my mind is like I need to get a taxi. That is the only way I'm going to get to my home. Mm. And mind you, I know absolutely nothing about this country. So then I just get a taxi cab, and I'm like, "Sir, can you please take me to this address?" And then the cab driver is like, "Sure." And then I walk over to the driver's seat that I'm used to. <laughs> <laughs> so I pull the door open. And I'm thinking it's the passenger side, and I pull the door open, and I see the steering is on there, and the guy's like, "Dude, what are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I had to correct myself. And it was just like a so these little things they they just like require like a change of mindset, 
because there, there are a lot of these little differences. Uh, but anyway, I get to the destination and the guy charged, I think, I think it was like $33 equivalent. And I had like month, 90 for the whole month. Oh. And then he was like, oh, I'll give you a $3 discount. You just pay me pay. Welcome to Denmark. <laughs> so, <they> just, <laughs> so the guy dropped me off and I'm like $60 left to my name. And that whole month it was like frozen noodles on a daily basis, you know, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty amazing. But it was a, it was an experience because yeah, like this whole thing where the cars are on the other side of the road, mm. like you you instead of pushing the doors, you pull them open instead of like twisting to the right when you open a tap, it's mm. twisting to the left. Like these very little minute differences, they were just like so surreal to me and just made it so foreign and so no, man, like a really magical experience. Really magical, like something like suffering. Because I've, I've been in Europe as well and trying to get my head around the way people do things there. This is really weird. Um, the whole driving on the wrong side of the road, which I believe the mm-hmm. queen side is the right side of the road. Okay, okay. Which queen though? Okay. Oh, because Denmark has royalty. Yeah, we oh, do. Yeah, yeah, it, okay. is, it is a monarch. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Her Majesty. Oh, me? Her Majesty. <laughs> the Queen of England. Yeah, okay. Of the road. It makes more sense than the other side. I know most of the world uses the wrong side of the road and it's yeah. down on us to kind of change but the, everything the plugs particularly uh-huh. you don't bring adapters adapters are like a real cheat code out there yeah true yeah that was, that was one of the early struggles that i had just like trying to plug in my laptop and you realize the one thing you came here for and i had like yeah and i had like this square plug and it doesn't fit into like the two prong one they yeah. use in the most of europe but there was a lot of these little experiences that just made it like so far into me so how did you get into well development? You said you studied here, right? Yes. So I started. I mean, I think for as long as I remember, since I was probably in primary school, I had a huge, huge fascination for like computers and mostly games. Um, and I was like deeply, deeply fascinated. And I actually wanted to go into this space and build something of my own. Um, so then, like all the career choices that I took were to just like set me up to become a developer, to either make games or being in the gaming tech space. Um, so the school that I went to, Missouri High, back in the day, they had so they had like limited places for computer. It was called computer studies. So I think half of the class needed to choose computer studies, and the other half needed to choose agriculture. <clears throat> and I was not having agriculture. <laughs> <laughs> so they did like a raffle in the class where they just like drew up a little tiny little piece of paper. Half of them said agriculture, half of them said computer studies. And then I dip my hand in this inside this like raffle box and then I pull out this paper, I read it, it says agriculture. And I know deep down in my heart, like there is no way I'm gonna have agriculture. It's just not my passion, I just don't want to do this. So I think I spent like a good month just dodging the, the agriculture, the teacher who taught agriculture at the time. Mm. And he knew that I was supposed to be one of the students, but I was dodging and then I'd run to like the computer studies class. And then the teacher there would be like, you're not supposed to be here. Mm. And then I'd be like, ah, but see, I really want to be here. And then I'd go in there anyway. Sometimes he wouldn't do like a register call, so you wouldn't notice that I'm, I'm in there, but sometimes he would. And then you'd notice, and then you'd be like, no, you can't be here, you need to be in the other class. And then I'll just like leave the class, and then that whole period has nothing to do. I'm suddenly not going to agriculture. Yeah. <laughs> so I like run-ins with like the teachers for, for like a month. 
until I had to like take the issue to my parents and then the whole thing like switch classes. Um, but I'm really glad for this experience because maybe if I hadn't done this, I would have been on a very different path. Um, so anyway, study study computer science, and then after that, I in high school, uh, like senior high school, I did something else which was totally unrelated to computers, because the school that I went to just didn't offer computers. Mm. But I just like ah, still I just do it. But deep down, still I knew that this is the path that I want to stay on. Um, so I kind of so after senior high school or A level we call it. I went to Chino University and then I started uh, computer science. It was it was intense. I gotta say it was very intense. We had a lot of dropouts. I think we had probably like sixty percent dropout. Yeah. Um, but somehow I made it until I graduated, and like during the course of the studies, it was it was intense, but it was also very um, lukewarm, like diverse but like not going deep into any one of like the sectors of computer right. whether it's like uh, neural nets or programming or networking we like covered all of these subjects but never really went deep into one so it was really up to us to like choose which one to specialize in um yeah i saw that a lot of my colleagues a lot of my classmates were choosing like networking art for some bizarre reason that I don't know why. Mm. But then I just decided, I know what, I want to do something else. I don't want to do networking because it looks like it's pretty flooded whilst we're here in college. I wonder what it's like out there. Mm. So then I decided to specialize in like programming. So I just like <clears throat> went hard at it, started studying programming. I really, I did .NET at the time uh, in C Sharp. Uh, I really went to town with it. I started this thing hard. And I actually started to get kind of like a reputation for myself. When we did the school projects, people would be like, yo, can you just write this piece of code for me? And then I just do it. I just like, ah, yeah, I guess I'm pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah. But then I think for, that was like the time where I really started taking programming seriously. And then after college, graduated, and then I started working. That's when I had my first job. Um, at a company called Telecontract or Telco, that's what it trades as. Um, Telco, the internet company or Telco? Telco, the internet company. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it was all, Telco was also a trip. It was, it was a very, very beneficial experience. I think it was like my first real job outside of college. And when they hired me, I was the only developer at the, at the company. How did that feel, though? I feel like you're carrying a lot of water, like a lot of people's water, like you're the whipping boy, basically. Yes. And there was like really, so there was really no senior, okay, they were like very knowledgeable people, but there was no dedicated senior mentor developer to mentor me into like, you know, molding my career and like just getting me more structured and more like industry ready. Mm. I was hoping like this, like this was my first job, I was hoping like this would be it, this would be the opportunity. Um, yeah, but I was the only developer, so I, I kind of like had to make, make do and kind of like try to create standards of my own, uh, try to fix some of the code, existing code, the legacy code that was already existing, which ran like the tons and tons of infrastructure that they had, but also at the same time I was creating my own standard. Mm, 
it was great for a while, but then I just started uh, yearning to just like being mentored and like having like someone else's second opinion, someone who's more senior, someone who can like really mold me and form me into like a better, well-rounded developer. Um, but the company itself was great. Uh, I do. It was one of the more progressive companies if I look like in the tech space in Zimbabwe in general. And which year was this? This was in 2015, 2016. Yeah, I was okay. there. So the internal structure, the, the, the company culture was progressive? Or the business itself was progressive? The business itself was progressive, okay. yeah. I mean, if we're talking about company culture, I mean, I'm from, uh, I'm, I'm coming from there, like, I've, I've seen, like, really progressive companies. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. I think Zimbabwe in general, we're, like, really lagging behind. Oh, <laughs> we are, we are. That's a conversation another day, but one thing I was told is Zimbabwe PR is probably the worst in the world. I mean, uh, public representatives or yeah. customer service yes. were kind of really behind. A friend from Canada was saying, I was talking to a mm. customer services uh, company, he didn't mention the name, and it's like, I felt like I knew more than they did about something that yeah. I really shouldn't be aware of. Yeah. And that I was getting cycled through, yeah. like just, you know, weird cycles, but story of another yeah. day. So yeah, but I can, I can, because I was like, when I started off at this company, I was sitting with like the support people, and it's, sometimes they'll be like college attaches. Okay, they know, but they're not you. Like you probably know more than them. Hard to believe, but okay. <laughs> really, it's, it's true. So I'm, I'm not surprised that sometimes they're like really big tech kids out there who, it's not surprising that you could you know be more knowledgeable than the person who's doing a customer service customer yeah so what did you get from telco to denmark because yeah that 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 is too i'm still trying to work the maths in my head so after telco um, i joined this i started that was my first remote job mm. then i joined a south african company but i was like fully remote working here from was this, 2016 2017 this was like 2017 I so think. you're pre-covid remote workers yes we have one guys how was working remote before remote work became a thing it was it was very exciting. I was I was super stoked to have a remote role because it meant well, mostly for the economics of it because it meant I had no transport costs. I was living in my mom's house. I was like I had no rent costs. Oh man, there was nothing. There was nothing. It was just all 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 advantages. So I really enjoyed it. Um, and like having like not having these rent rent and transport costs. Also meant like um, I was more satisfied mm. with uh, with the like the salary that I was getting. Um, but yeah, we are pre-COVID remote workers. It was very exciting. So we had to we had to. <clears throat> I'm very fortunate that all of the companies that I've worked on, they are not these uh, micromanaging. Let's see what you're doing. Log in, mm. commit every fifteen minutes type companies so it was very flexible i could literally maybe go offline for like half the day because maybe the power's off mm. and bosses were very understanding and welcoming and they understood the situation that that's just the dynamic of where we are um but i worked this remote job it wasn't stressful at all because i was at home and also like the company was very understanding uh, i stayed there for about two years as well mm. before i moved to Denmark 
Um, interesting. Um, I've been talking to devs locally who are saying there are not enough opportunities to work abroad or to work remotely in Zim. Uh, and I'm hearing other devs saying, no, it's actually possible to work remotely or even Zim. So I don't know. To bridge that divide, how, how did you get the, the job in SA or what qualifications do you need to put down? I know it's kind of dated information because it's like what, three years old now. Oh, in SA. Mm. Mm. So this job in SA was kind of like through a friend of a friend. Okay. So it wasn't on a tabloid or in a newspaper or magazine or online ad. Mm. It was through a friend of a friend. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say this is the right channel to get jobs. <laughs> <laughs> But I have to disagree with uh, this notion that there are not enough remote opportunities for devs. Because I was talking to another dev who's working in Zim, working for a US company, and yeah. he said if Zim could adopt the India model, mm-hmm. where India's a part of India's economy, not sure how big it is, is run on remote developers. Mm-hmm. Like they just yeah. have a system where the income tax is paid through the bank. Like you get mm-hmm. your pay from your company mm-hmm. and it splits to your net income and then the, 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 the bank takes, uh, the, yeah. the government takes their, their, their portion. Yeah. So if Zimbabwe, because there are a lot of developers in Zimbabwe and companies yeah, yeah. say there are no local devs and they outsource and everything. Have you been, what, what Zimbabwe do you live in that you don't see the amount of people who either are doing comp science or are, have, have taken up development as, as a career pivot? Mm-hmm. Huh. But I have to say, like, I don't think like uh, online presence is really mature like if i think of one zimbabwean website where you can headhunt or be headhunted there's really none people still just use linkedin but if we're talking about linkedin now you're getting exposure of like devs from all around the world so it's really hard to like pinpoint a pool where you can headhunt zimbabwean devs and now it's a global village like we use linkedin's and all these other social platforms you being a Zimbabwean dev, you're not just competing with other Zimbabwean devs. Mm. You're competing with the rest of the world. And maybe these companies having like this exposure to Zimbabwean and non-Zimbabwean devs, maybe they just prefer outsourcing external uh, labor because they just practice harder. Mm. Yeah. I spoke to another company, which I can't mention because some of these things. And they were like, um, we can't find competent, not competent devs, but consistent devs. So they worked at the company before and then they flaked on a deal and they never delivered. Mm-hmm. And they painted this image like that's what all Zimbabwean developers are like. And I'm like, you just found the wrong one. So I guess yeah. it links up with what you said, like you can't headhunt. Mm-hmm. People, I know there are platforms like Afroblocks now, which you can you know, register as a freelancer and things like that. Mm-hmm. And you can put your um, body of work or the, 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 the code you've developed or parts of code or product you've developed. Yeah. And then you can be selected through that. And they've got a really good system of uh, you as the contractor's funds are put into escrow uh, to pay mm. for the freelancer. Yeah. And once the job is to your satisfaction, then things are then released. Mm. And yeah, that I think that is one of the platforms in Zimbabwe. I think is probably the most progressive, but it doesn't have the usership in terms of developers mm. as widespread or as widespread known as it should be. Yeah. So I get why people would say there are no developers. But again, it's the traditional model most of these companies have is they still go through HR. Yeah. You want to go nine and see if you have no points, man, but with Zivin. Okay, go level, I said JC, go level, then A level. Yeah. So it's like people don't hire like that anymore. Yeah. And I guess you're the best example of that. Like, yes, I didn't go through any of this. Like, my hiring process was very practical. It's it's like, oh, so you studied, you went to college. Yes, okay, good. Uh, can you do this coding challenge? Oh, yes, you can. All in your 
are you um, are you a good cultural fit for the rest of the company? Well, then yes, and then well, you get the job. So it's not like really, let's see your grade GC, your grade seven, your A level results, because really none of those matter. I've I have like tons of people who come from like these tech tech hubs. Mm. Maybe they never went to college, but they went through this tech hub and they gathered the experience that's needed and they they're really fit for this job. And with this very dated way of hiring, it means like these people will never have an opportunity. Mm. And I just don't think that makes any sense. You just be like missing out on a lot of potential. And and they say brain drain. When yeah. they're part of the brain drain problem because the brains are no longer where you think they are or where they yeah, should yeah, be. Yeah. Because now they're people have been putting on YouTube. I'm literally doing a Cisco course on Python just for the just for shits and giggles because I wanna <laughs> I'm tired of, of devs thinking they're superior. Please yeah. equalize it. I want to speak your language. <laughs> So I'm yeah. like, you know, I want to understand, I don't want to code, I want to understand the engineering process yeah. uh, to better write or to better talk about to people like you about the work mm. that you do. Uh, but if a company then, if a Zoom company then says we want to see your, your results, like you are literally forcing talented guys like yourself to mm. go out abroad because that's yeah. where opportunities are. So in there, so it's kind of like you're working against your best interest, yeah. kind of like like Republicans, but yeah. I'm not going to get political today. But I think, yeah, but I think like the, the, like the curriculum has changed. Well, it's changed whilst I was away, so I'm not really sure what it, it is like that. But I think now they're more invested in like the STEM fields, so they're putting a lot more emphasis in like uh, science, tech, and, and mathematics, and not like where, when I went to school, it was like we had like a very general education which touched on like everything from I don't know economics to English literature to science as well, which which didn't emphasize any of these fields. Mm. So I, I can kind of see like the, um, uh, I don't know, whoever is in charge, they're kind of like trying to, you know, to set us up for like being a more technological uh, success or power. But is that value chain not disturbed then by the opportunities lying in companies that can't realize that there is not only one way? You might get someone who's gone through the formal process, mm-hmm. but they don't compare to the talent. And because it's, it's different writing code in a sanitary environment, like mm-hmm. in, in school. Mm. And when when the actual company demands, or you're doing it because this is your only lifeline to make a living, yeah, the mentality for me I think is different. It is, yeah. So if you're not headhunting those guys who are do, who are on the bleeding edge in yeah. terms of doing it for real practical yeah. problems, yeah, you're gonna get students you're going to have to teach. Yes, which is which is true. I just I think those qualifications are not a reflection of your work potential. I totally agree with that, especially because uh, like the education system as it is today doesn't really prepare you for you know the industry or like the corporate environment mm. so yeah i am also totally with you on this one i, I just i think the, the educational qualifications are a good reflection that you're you're knowledgeable and you're teachable but i think as far as many fields go that's that's just it well the, the, some of the stem fields do need you to keep it in the book like medicine uh, that's probably the one that you should keep it to the book, but most innovation has come from people experimenting. Yeah. So if you don't have that mind to venture out, it's going to, it's going to be difficult for you to be identifiable in the quote-unquote real world. Yeah. Because who wants to hire someone who can do something that will soon be automated? Like, yeah, hopefully you see, later than sooner. I was telling a friend of mine <laughs> who's going to be an accountant, and he said, I'm going to university for accounting, and I'm like, see you in 10 years. <laughs> We're going to be writing code together, don't worry. <laughs> so it's yeah. all good. I've got you set up. Yeah. Good. Because most of the stuff is going to be automated. And especially with now how AI is getting so much better. 
and computers are getting more powerful. Mm-hmm. Accountants, auditors, actual scientists. Yeah. Yeah. Someone like you is going to be writing that code to be like, yeah, listen, we're selling, you can do your entire operations, your entire financial operations automatically with this one system. Yeah. And sure. that's millions of people out of jobs. Yeah. That is kind of what we already do. Like the company that I work, the Danish company that I'm working at, that is exactly what we do. Oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> Hope you're not listening. Yeah, but screwed. <laughs> yeah, so we're trying to just automate some of these like financial systems. Like this whole process of like bookkeeping after companies spend instead of like having actual physical human beings chasing after receipts. Mm. Just search your inbox for that receipt and then attach it. Just do some image recognition. Why do you need a human being doing that? So, yeah, I do believe that. This with... is a sore spot for me. <laughs> I hate doing financial reporting. Yeah. I think it's asinine. Yeah. I think it's really asinine. It's important. I get it, but I hate. It's it saves a lot of time. Yeah, and if it's automated, I'm like that is one less person to hire. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or well, one less accountant to hire, but maybe one more developer to hire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like that kind of thing. So what's the company called? Ah, uh, so the company is called Quill. So it's a financial services company. Um, in English, it's like a spending platform. Okay. So we have, um, so we, op- we offer uh, corporate uh, debit cards, credit coming soon, but just debit cards for now. But then we also like offer automated forms of payment like direct debit. Um, we have a bills feature, which you can just set up and then it automatically starts paying your bills as they come in. Uh, we also offer like spending out of pocket. So a lot of the times, and in, more, in a lot in other economies such as Zimbabwe and Germany, uh, like the financial system is really cash based. So we also offer like having you being able to use cash and then maybe paying out of pocket, and then we find ways to like record keep it electronically. But how do you convert then cash to electronic? Uh, so you basically just enter a record into the app which says I spent this much on on such and such a thing okay. and here's the receipt. And then you get reimbursed into your bank account um, automatically. Okay. Yeah. So instead of like having to wait for the end of the month to get oh, your reimbursement, okay. Okay. like yeah. as soon as you enter that record and then you show the receipts for tax, for mostly for tax reasons, for some products are taxable, some are not, some have tax returns. Um, like as soon as we get this information, we we reimburse the money uh, immediately. So how does it work with stuff like tax incentives and tax credits and stuff like that? Is that all pre-calculated, and then? Mm, no. So for cha- for tax for t- for like tax returns, you need to know what products were purchased. So that is the reason why we need to see a receipt. Ah, okay, okay. okay. Because some products will have tax returns, some will not. So it's difficult if you don't know. So like from the merchant, once you use your card in a merchant. You will be able to tell that you spent ten dollars at OK Marimba. Thank you. But we still need to know what did you buy so that we can see which products have tax returns on them. Mm-hmm. And then once you upload the receipt, then we we just like run through it. We try to like scan through the the, the line items and see which ones we can the, the company can get tax returns oh, on. Okay. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Very interesting. So you've been working on this for long. Um. So I've been working with this company for two years now. So Denmark is quite recent. Yes, it's only two years old. Wow. Yes, it's only two years old. Wow. Um, How do you go from a pre-COVID, a pre-COVID remote worker, to going to Denmark in the space of let's say four years? 
Oh man, it wasn't easy. <clears throat> I mean, I just knew, like when I was working for Africa. So when I left Telco, it was because I needed a mentor. And then when I left uh, the other company, it was because I was in dire need of like some international exposure. So I was tired because I th- I feel like I was a bit more progressive myself. Like I would get onto like these technology trends as soon as they came out. Mm. So stuff like um, Nest.js or stuff like um, Gatsby. And I knew not a single place where I could use this in Zimbabwe. Mm. I was doing Django at the time. And I didn't know a single... Well, there was, okay, I knew a few, but there were very little companies which were doing web development in Python, it was always just like .NET or PHP. And I was just really tired of like, I can see that these are the new trends, but we're not really adopt, adopting them. We're still using like, apologies to all the PHP fanboys out there, but this is really dated technology. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I can't wait for the comments on this one. <laughs> yeah. So we're really using this technology, and I just felt like this is uh, kind of like a bit dated now. We should move on to... I just really want to put this new frameworks and new foundations to practice. So I just was just in like dire need of like international exposure. Um, so I had like no links, I didn't know anyone, but I just went on to, um, what's the site called? Glassdoor. Mm. And that, that's when I just started like browsing through job ads. Um, just reading the ones that I think are, I'm suitable the ones which offer remote work or offer relocation assistance. Mm-hmm. And I'll just like send my CV through. And because it was so straightforward, so formal, no, no advantages, it took me a while. Maybe it took me probably two months and like 10 interviews, mm-hmm. a lot of rejections uh, to finally land a role. So it, it wasn't all just roses it was thorns also because i went through like a lot of rejection like i was interviewing probably every week Mm. and then you'd go through like five steps of this interview process maybe you'd get like a coding challenge so i spent a lot of time um interviewing and like doing these coding challenges and each one just made me better for the next one um each coding challenge i took just made me more prepared for the next one um, that's why I finally landed on. Yeah, sounds like dating in a lab. <laughs> Similar process. <laughs> challenge after challenge and different yeah. rejection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. you then landed on on Cleo. Cleo and then, working you then how did they how did they transition? They said relocate or you work remotely first and then Um so I wanted so I was working, like I said, I was working remotely for mm. the for the last two years at the point. So I was also tired of like my home being my office. I was already tired. Like when you got tired of bunk down, I was already tired. <laughs> yeah, no, I get you. Yeah, so I was already tired of like just being stuck in like one environment for like this long. So I really, really wanted to just like go back to an office with colleagues and also the prospect of like oh, moving to a new country. It's Euro progressive. Yeah, who doesn't want that? And then I just like hopped at it. They were giving relocation assistance. Uh, so relocation assistance is plane ticket and plane ticket first month rent visa assistance plane ticket in the first month of rent that is a deal man like first month rent is the scariest thing in the world uh-huh, yeah right because you get that so at least you have a roof over your head yeah that's one thing done food is a is, yeah. is second yeah. shelter yeah yeah and then with food i had to like make do with 60 bucks 
in a country where prices and, and context is the country's prices are much higher regardless of where you go zim is probably cheaper in some respects with food because in europe food is seasonal like especially fresh food it's seasonal so the bang for your buck at least in my experience mm. is getting noodles and things you can that are yeah heavily yeah. processed yeah. yeah europe is generally more expensive it's, it's like the higher the gdp then generally the more spending power people have the mm. more expensive products are um but if it's if it's like high uh, like highly trafficable items like mm. tech like phones laptops they generally are on the same price but they've got their financial systems actually work so you can do stuff on contract and labor and things like that yes not in the same way they like pay 75 yeah. percent yeah. they're giving you 60 days to pay 30 percent yes yeah so you can also run on debt so <laughs> but debt there is not necessarily a bad thing i mean as long as you can service it it's not necessarily a bad thing no it's not a bad thing yeah <clears throat> yeah i think it's only kind of like a mentality that we have that if you're in debt then you're you owe someone so therefore yeah you're screwed and it's credit yeah yeah but debt can be an asset yeah that it, it can actually bring your credit score up which allows you to get more debt which yeah. allows you to make bigger purchases or bigger investments mm. which allows you to generate more money so you need that like financial systems run there because yeah, you, you you need to prove to the financial institution that you can pay yeah when you can meet your debt regardless of how big it is if you meet your payments they know oh, this guy can return and he does his schedules really good yeah. so when you ask for a million dollars so i've been seeing this stuff on um mainly on guys in real estate most of their projects mm-hmm. in, in the, out there here i think it's cool out there people are getting debt leveraging the property they own now and so they'll basically mortgage off a property get renters or fix it up get renters and then start getting inflows of money and then go to the bank and be like yeah i've paid back my loan for that and now i'm going to start using uh, i'm going to use the, the the property i bought as security for another loan and yes. it's a cascade effect so yeah. trying to tell zimbabweans that debt is not a problem like as long as you can like meet it it's, yeah it's not necessarily an issue but I guess like our financial situation is like highly volatile. It's hard to give debt. It's not volatile. It's just it it's, is it's, it's shackled. Like you've just you can't you can't we don't have a credit score system, right? So people don't know whether you're viable enough. Um, we've got financial systems like mobile money, which are really good for everybody. The problem is is that the government never leveraged those systems to be a credit scoring system. So we had a space, Twitter space last year, and this dude actually very smartly said why did the government never use transaction flows on EcoCash or whatever as a credit scoring system or as a benchmark nah. for certain volumes of credit? Because we don't yeah, have... Yeah, but look, yeah. Like, today people are easily trans- transferring like thousands, like tens of thousands of dollars on EcoCash, which was... But if you put in USD value, it's not a lot of money. This <laughs> is like, about 100 bucks. I know. But like, if we used this, you know nominal figure as your credit score like how much no, how much volume it's not necessarily the, the volume that but look we how could should so should we run our financial system based off another currency that is <laughs> that is a, that's a good debate and i will i'll give this 10 minute segue no we should <laughs> okay. no, no we shouldn't yeah. like we should run off our own currency but is it viable to do so no but i just think the market is not ready then I think it's really, I think it's the way you can, you can look at it. So lending is possible to certain demographics. So, um, so the, mm. the guys have, who have been ease of access to it. Now I know that sounds very exclusionary. <laughs> I sound like a capitalist, but hear me out here. Mm, yeah. If you can start the process. So most companies I've seen any sort of innovation, 
does not start as a mass mother, mass mother product. Very few do start as a mass mother product because it's either for enthusiasts or people rich enough to actually indulge. Yeah. When the, when it comes downwind, we can then get stuff like Netflix because they have yeah no, it's it's now quote unquote affordable. Yeah. Stuff like DSTV. Remember back in the day, DSTV. If you had DSTV at your house back in the nineties, you are something else. Yeah. You were rich enough to afford it. But no, it's commonplace because they went where the money was and then it just filtered down. So again, it's the same system. Start people who can actually afford it. Create a system based on people you can back or who can like give back. And then start crafting ways of which you can then put it to uh, the informal sector, for example, which is what ninety percent of Zimbabwe's economy. Yeah, it's it sounds great. It works, but this also this won't work. No, <laughs> this is just me talking about ass. It will not work. It's just this. Me. Yeah, I can easily see how this will become like a top one percent advantage. Where like the top one percent are the only they ones really have the advantage though. So who have fine. access to credit, and therefore like the income gap goes like the you know the gap between the richest and the poorest mm. keeps growing, and then it becomes like. India, we have a mansion here, and then you're someone living in a tin shed. Well, like right South Africa is the same thing, isn't it? Back to back with Alexandria. So yeah. it's like it's there already. I mean, why not use that <clears throat> the broken system to try and make something that actually works? I don't know. I'm not in economics. I I don't know. Mm. It could work. <laughs> I I don't think it can. I don't think they'll they will think about it long enough to make it work, because of every bank I've spoken to, they are very credit shy, even with people with with the money. It's necessarily a I know you, you know me kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. So no to our, yes to our currency. But if we use the US dollar, we're literally running off United 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 States' um uh local policies. Yes. They're not our own. Yeah, they're not our so own. So we don't have much control. And we don't have control of this currency. Yeah. Yeah. So if it fluctuates, we screwed either way. Yeah. And externalization will always be a thing because people will come to to Zim just to draw money yeah. out, not necessarily that to already to happened. Okay, segue over. Yeah, so yeah. Denmark, you got uh, the um, the relocation assistance. Mm-hmm. They're sixty bucks. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and how long did the sixty bucks last you? The whole month. You made it last a month. I made it work. Yeah, I made it work. Uh, by being extremely frugal, which I'm a son of a soul, I know how to do that. No, no, it doesn't make sense. It's not adding up. It's not adding up. But seriously, I did make it work. But I like, so I think I was having lunch at the office, and then I would have like frozen noodles when I came back home every day for like like what twenty days. Can't keep that. I I could easily keep that up. That that'll change you as a person, man. <laughs> like that will really change you as a person. I'm used to much worse. No, no. Yeah. No, noodles. Listen. Facing Sadza is your only meal for the day. I can face that. But the noodles were pretty nice. I mean, I would like switch it up. Sometimes it mayonnaise, sometimes it ketchup. You can hear yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I made it work so well. <laughs> okay. And how, how was the work culture adjustment? Like after working for a Zimbabwean company that you were progress with, I have my views on that. But we'll do that off camera because I don't want to make enemies just yet. Yeah. To South Africa. And then what was the adjustment to like working in European work culture? Um, yeah, so I think like the biggest noticeable difference was like the hierarchy is much flatter. So there there is still like a hierarchy for like structure's sake, but it's not like uh, oh take take your hand off when he walks off walks in the room. Yeah. You know, like here it's a lot more emphasized on respect, um, and just like downright just fearing someone because he has a bigger position than you. 
Mm. But then the hierarchy was like much flatter. We would have like social events, even with like your direct manager or with the or with the CEO himself. <clears throat> so our CEO, he did this thing. Like every new joiner, he would like book himself some time to just have a chat with us, like a very very casual chat, to just like get to know who he is and also him to get to know who you are. And it also just brings you, it just gives a sense of like belonging to the to the workplace. And and I think like when once you feel like you're part of a workplace, it also kind of like encourages you to put in harder work and just be more productive. So yeah, so so this thing of like the work environment having like a much flatter hierarchy and not necessarily being afraid to reach out to, to your senior or to your manager. It's kind of like the biggest culture shock to me because uh, I just wasn't I just wasn't coming from a place which was like that uh, but I could see like how progressive it was uh, having this kind of like dynamic in the workplace because mm. like immediately even though I was like so foreign I mean the cars on the different on the other side of the road the, the plugs don't even work the way I'm used to them working even though everything was like so foreign and so strange to me like I just felt like a sense of belonging just for this very simple fact. And also like um, um, the workplace is heavily based on trust. Um, so right now I'm working remotely, but I don't have the, you know, the mental load or the mental pressure of like having to commit code every 30 minutes or else maybe you had left your desk or something. Mm. Even if you did leave your desk, but because you you feel trusted you would put in you may or you may not but you would want to still deliver mm. and maybe you might you might want to put those extra hours even after hours just basically allowing you to manage your own time yeah it really gives you the autonomy to work how you want uh but also like feeling like you're a part of this organization just makes you want to be more engaged and like more efficient and i think for me personally i saw this working a lot better than the work dynamic that we have here that you're supposed to clock in at eight, clock out at five, or else we're gonna cut your salary off. Mm. It just turns you into this like machine, like in the production line where you don't, you really don't even care about the production line. You're just there because you're trying to earn a living, but you don't resonate with the vision of the company. Okay. Yeah. So did you work on, so a uh, local project, I was told the one that you worked on, which is of a really interesting, right? Because uh, we covered it four or five times previously. Or five, um, yeah. So before or five, I did work on. I don't know if you know Open Access. Okay, so Telco has like a web. You know the free internet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so their their web. Uh, what's it called? Their the portal. Captive portal. Oh, okay. yeah. Uh, that was the first project that I did, which went to the public, but. Okay, that was not me, that was Telco. Okay. Like everything that I write is still owned by the company. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Telco, well, that portal and Wafai are the two local projects you, you worked on. Yes. So Wafai is the most recent one. Mm. Did they find you or did you find them? Uh, they found me. How? So Telco, my, we, we was really good friends with my boss at the time. Okay. And he happened to be friends with the CEO and founder of Wafai. So he had... <laughs> no, but you said last last time that a friend of a friend got you the work in South Africa. 
Now yes. friends, you're really good friends with not the CEO of Fire then found you. Yes. So for me, in my head, it's telling me that the exclusion of every other business that wants to hire a really good developer is as long as you know the person who knows the person who knows a really good developer. No, 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 no that is not developer. true. No, that is not true. I I believe in um, like equal opportunity. Yeah, you don't I live in Denmark, man. Like Zimbabwe, <laughs> there's, no, there's no such as equal opportunity. Each man from himself, God bless him. No, 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 that is not. I believe in equal opportunity. I believe like you don't really need to know a person. If we ran on nepotism, this would just be a come. This would just turn into a dynasty. No. I mean. <laughs> no. Yeah. Okay. So how did how how did Wafai approach you to be like? This is what we want. So, so we use the app, but we're not we're not sure where the thought process was from from the engineering side. Yes. Um. So when I joined Wafai, kind of already existed, but the thing you mentioned before that the, the CEO had contracted like some Asian developers, Indian, Pakistani, you know, Good stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he wasn't. I think the communication wasn't that great, so he wasn't very happy with like where the project was at. So I took a look at it. It wasn't great. It had like a lot of boilerplate, a lot of like dead code, just not doing anything. So then it was really up to me. So for a while, I tried to like run with it to just like fix what is already there. Try to remove all this boilerplate, all this dead code, which is not doing anything. Try to clean it up. Trying to you know update all the packages, bring everything up to date. Until I reached a point where I was just like, this is a lot more work than just like building this thing afresh. <clears throat> so I communicated with the with the founder and I told him like, look, this is the state of the project. Uh, if you allow me like creative. Uh, freedom. I'm gonna start this thing over. I will continue using some of the packages that are already there, so that I don't necessarily have to like reinvent everything. So you you're doing this in your own personal capacity. Yes. Go on. Yes. <laughs> yes. But then I also had like, but at at this point in time, I had, I already had like five six years of um, experience. So I was in a position where I'm able to like make sensible, scalable uh, decisions because I know that this is going to be like a public facing product. Mm-hmm. I want it to be able to scale to like millions of people. I don't want to be, I don't want like after a thousand people to hear that, oh no, the server is overloaded. So now we're getting 500 errors. So I still was able to like make decisions to just make it scalable um, so that it's reachable by many, many customers. Um, so I did continue using um, the same framework which was being used, mm. Laravel. So PHP fanboys, I don't hate you. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> so I continued using uh, Laravel, but I updated everything to like the latest versions and also started making like a lot of. So I think if you look at the, um, like what it what it is today, or five versus what it's been say three months ago, mm. we kind of like keep adding features. I, I saw that you covered one article that there was this issue of like parasitic change which would always be left like yeah. that 50, 50 cents which stayed on a voucher and then you can't use it because there's nothing which costs 50 cents. Yeah. So this okay so this was something that we were already thinking about but we were just like trying to find out what's what's a good way to handle these this thing. Because some of these things are like edge cases which you don't really think about in in development during mm-hmm. development or like during scoping or you know planning. By the way, we want our ten percent for the unsolicited help. 
giving you a better product. <laughs> no, this, like I said, this was something that we were already thinking about. Oh, but no, but we wrote about it. So it we're part of this part of this process. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, so like the development process was like really iterative, like getting feedback from people, like just listening to what people are saying, like okay, so there's some changes that we can't use. Okay, people from South Africa are failing to use their credit card mm. because of like different authentication systems. I mean, how do we keep fixing this product and make it more suitable and more reachable to more customers? So these are things which come as the product grows and matures and we just like keep iterating and make make it better. Um, I think like the, if you look at like maybe three months ago, like the very first version of Profile when it launched, you could only use your credit card. There was no Google Pay, mm. Apple Pay, there was no PayPal. Uh, it was only credit cards. You, there was this change issue. Um, you couldn't split vouchers or share them, and it was just um, and also like a ton of bug fixes also which came uh, during the process. So how did you balance this and your work with? Oh yeah, so I made it very clear to so I also I wanted to be transparent also to like manage expectations. Mm -hmm. So I made it very clear to like the founder of Profile, like I have a full-time job, I'm working nine to five. Mm. I will only be able to work on this from my after hours or the weekend, if I'm not too tired and if I just don't have anything else that I want to do. So like just being able to communicate with the stakeholder, I, I've seen like a lot of developers over promise and they say they can get something done in a week. And it's really like a month's worth of work. And then maybe that's where this general notion about Ozumabu and developers just don't deliver mm. could come from. But I try to like make it very clear that um, this is the, the amount of time that I can work. I could give you tentative uh, deadlines, um, but don't take this as gospel. It may, it may not work. It may, it may not pan out. And it really helps like manage expectations on his side as well. And also for me to to not feel like I'm shortchanging or like I'm not delivering um, on like non-realistic timelines. Okay. Yeah. And how long did the entire project take to, to get from from where you got it, from the version you got up until the one we see, let's say three months ago, the first version that we, we, we saw the, the one which launched. So that one took me, because I was the only developer working on it, that one took me, I think about four months. Okay. Yeah. Yes, it took me about four months but it was, so we tested it a lot because mm. we knew this was going to be a public facing project. And I think the last month of those four was just like tests and we, we have like environments which are not the one that you see when you visit the website. So we have like different environments. So we did like to try and like stress test this, this system, try to like penetrate, penetration test it, try to hack it ourselves, try to hire people to hack it just to find some loophole which people can exploit mm. you know, to get a free voucher because it's, it's essentially generating value out of thin air if, mm. if, a, if a loophole like this existed. So like I think that the whole one month of those last four was just like trying to really, really stress test and break this system and just like find something which, which, which could let a hacker through. So was this more from your end or it was from the Wafaya side that they wanted to test it properly? It was more like me being the developer mm. and I knew like the extent and the, the potency of the system. I knew that if 
if there was ever a bug which was like this, you've essentially given people a way. You've essentially given people like a money printing machine. Mm. So there was no way I was having that. And I was, so they wanted to launch it earlier, but I was, I was like, would keep telling them that, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. We need to test it some more. Mm. I want to see traffic on this thing. I want to see stress on the system. I want to make sure like there's no uh, road which has been left and untroded. Okay. Um, Were they patient in that entire process that you wanted to, to basically kill it or try to kill it <laughs> for the public? Yes, they were very understanding because they also like, so when you're, when you're working, like you might have these concerns as a developer. Maybe you want to, I don't know, write a unit test or write an end-to-end test, but the client, the stakeholder doesn't know that. He just sees, well, the system is working. Why not just launch it now? Mm. But you know, like you know the vulnerabilities. So it's really up to you to like, communicate these concerns to the stakeholder, tell, tell it to them in English or in a language that they understand so that they see that okay, there is value in the work that you're doing. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And I'm just surprised because Zoom companies are not the most patient in the world. Like, as long as it's working, like, to a degree, let's launch it and then fix it while it's, while it's out there, for which this is difficult. So the whole money printing thing, did you tell them about this or they knew that they were literally just making money from nothing? No, I told them this. Like if there had if if such a bug would have existed, then it would it essentially be like a money printing machine. Did they know that that was a potential? Yes. Okay, great. Because now he's getting scared. <laughs> they didn't know. Was that yeah, yeah? Yes, they knew, and that is the reason for like not launching it as early as it could. Okay. It it was never a bug, but I just wanted to make. Yeah, I'm saying in the event that it did arise, you wanted to cover your tracks. I wanted to make sure that there's no chance of it arising. <laughs> if you do have a back end to that, just give me a. <laughs> no, I don't even do it myself. Because <laughs> I mean, we also like to have like extensive reports and records. Like okay. every single thing that you do in the system is documented. Uh, so there's no way you can fudge it. Uh, no, if you, it's it will have to be like a conglomerate. Like you would have to be like a, uh, what's it called? Like a, like a party of criminals to <laughs> fight. Like you only be in agreement to like, yeah, let's fight it. Okay. For which, yeah, I think like having more security points like that just makes it like more secure so that like no, no single person has like the power to like tamper with the records. Did you also, did it also go through RBZ approval or that was really redone? Or... No, so, so we are not a remittance service, so we don't need like remittance licenses. Yes, we don't handle, we don't. <laughs> Say it how you like, it is what it is. <laughs> yes. So technically, we're not a remittance service. Like you can't redeem cash with the Wafaya voucher. So you can only redeem products and services, but not cash. It's just a voucher. So that is the only product. It's like selling clothes. It's just another product, except this product carries value at certain outlets. So are the vouchers not transferable from one business to the next? Um. Yes. But also, no, we kind of switched off that feature for now. Because I was about to say, Zimbabweans would just start using that. For example, Inbox. Um, yeah, yeah. So Inbox. You can technically buy stuff with Inbox because yeah. it's technically a remittance service that yeah. you can actually pull money out of. Yeah. So there's a online stores that are saying you accept cash, USD, or uh, Inbox. You prepaid, and then Inbox. Yeah. 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 If you start handling, if you start handling like actual cash, uh, then you need licensing. But for, as for now, there's, there's, everything's above board. Yes. When you when you hesitate, it just makes me think there's a bug. No, there's no bug. It's because it's because I'm like running through all possible scenarios, 
and I don't want to like blurt out yes. I'm just running, just like checking. Okay, yeah, yes. That's very honest though. It's <laughs> most days like yes, make your head crack, crack, crack. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So there's, there's absolutely no way to, I don't know, give it you a shot. Try. Give it a shot. <laughs> so in terms of Papaya, yeah. is that the only Zen project you worked or late, most recently worked on, or the other stuff that you're kind of playing around with? Um. So lately, that's the only project that I've worked on. Um. I did do another project. Which, this was like way back in the day, mm. um, which never took off. Um, so I had my fair share of failures as well. Who doesn't? Yeah, we all do. But it's like bouncing it's back like from this. You said. Exactly. But the bounce back is weird because um, so I watch a lot of NFL, which is mm. very very unhealthy. Um, but I've noticed the most <laughs> successful quarterbacks are the ones with a very short memory. So if you can make a mistake and be willing to make it or be willing to try something similar again with the only vision being success or mm. the possible or you're setting yourself up to be the most successful as you can be in that one single the three seconds it takes to do that play that separates the really good from the from the really yeah bad. so for you what was because for me i have a very long memory i catalog my failures extensively because i will diarize them when i get older mm-hmm. um but for you do you have that you know time to think about oh i messed up here or yeah, certainly. I think you'd be a fool to not learn from your failures. Oh, you can learn from them. I'm saying, do you dwell on them as extensively as, you know, like someone like me did? I mean, I don't dwell on them, but I do learn stuff from them. Like I said, I interviewed a lot, and every single failure just set mm. me up for the next one oh, yeah. to be better. Like, another person could have been like, oh, I failed. I'm just going to give up and, you know, not try. Um, but it did take a lot of resilience, and also, like, learning from those failures to just, like, Keep going at it. Yeah. Mm. I think if you didn't learn, like, I mean, we all fail. I don't know a single person who's just, like, made it to the top. Mm. <laughs> 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 I don't know. I don't know his life story. Can can agree, can disagree. <laughs> okay. So in terms of, like, local developers in Zim who might be looking at this as, I have no opportunity to... Or they don't know that these routes exist for you to actually start a life living in a normal country, quote unquote. What advice would you give, or what platforms would you say they should look into to be like, if you're if everything's in order and you've got X amount of experience, try you know this avenue or that avenue. Mm. <clears throat> okay, so I think I mean I still have this country that I wouldn't like. I know everybody is like a personal interests everyone just wants to make it for themselves mm. and obviously they the, the goal would be to you know escape because the the you know the industry here is just not that advanced mm. um but i do feel like there's a lot of opportunity and room here and it's really up to the zimbabwean devs to to like harness this opportunity i wouldn't want to encourage people to like to say like okay leaving is the only route to success mm. uh, i think it would be better to just like stay here and try to fix the situations that we have here mm. like in zimbabwe there's a lot loads and loads of opportunity like loads and loads of problems which can be solved by technology but i think maybe the focus is this like we all just want to go to school um pass study and find a job outside the country and maybe like this is why i've seen a few people trying to solve the, 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 the problem that we face here. But I still feel like there's not enough um, 
effort and attention which has been put or just like brain power which has been just been put into like solving these problems even something's even something so trivial as like a food delivery service mm. we only have one which is daily delivery and just because of bunch now what else uh that delivery what's that one called if you say one yeah that delivery scale is much bigger than everybody else's mm-hmm. because they can handle larger volumes than everybody else can uh because of the of the of the proximity they have to the bigger the more stable brands and also the money investment that they get mm-hmm. smaller guys can do it but it's not to a point that they can you know yeah. Because the, the code part of it is, is one problem. The logistics aspect is something yeah, else. Logistics is like, so it's like, but, sorry? Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Like the, the code is not the only factor. There's also, you, you do need investment for getting like physical items such as, you know, the delivery vehicles. Um, but I still do feel like <clears throat> there are quite a lot of problems which can be solved by technology. And technology is like a, very, a relatively low barrier of entry in terms of costs because you can yeah you can literally rent a server for like 2.99 a month which is for a zimbal that's a lot of money no that's less than you use for your airtime in a month how much you use for airtime usd how much you use for your airtime like i don't know i don't, I don't count <laughs> yeah it's really less than you... usd or local currency usd dude that's someone's pay but I'm saying for someone who's a sole trader or let's just say for the, for the individual, um, it's a, the steps are much steeper because looking from a, a even if you're a sole trader, I'll give an example of um, I was watching this other uh, interview yesterday of a guy who made a website which just connects producers to artists. That's all it does. You don't need any. This is literally just software that you need. You rent your server for two ninety nine. That is about the only end time. But those are about the only investments that you need. You don't need um. You don't need to buy like any physical mm-hmm. items. So that's why I say like there's a really low in barrier of entry when it comes to tech. Like you can get a lot done without like needing tons and tons of investment. Um. Yeah. So tight on the 299 thing. But I get what you mean. Like the infrastructure <laughs> is already there. As long as you can identify a problem and you've got yeah. someone who can build it for you, the solutions are there to bolster up whatever you're doing. It's just the cost to run it. In if you juxtapose that to starting an actual business or starting to build stuff from zero. Yeah, yeah. if you want to build like an actual manufacturing business, yeah, it's, then you got a problem. You will need investment. Yeah, yeah. investment. But <laughs> but I, I don't think most people don't see it from that lens though. Like that's not just all solutions because for example, you still go to some government buildings i'm not singing out the government because most government buildings are like this where everything is still pretty much manual where there are automated systems that are available to do certain things exactly where's where where are all the developers where's everybody yeah everybody's just like focused on like okay if i if i get a good grades and a good uh, qualification i'm going to leave and work for this european company but then there's all these opportunities which are just here which are just like waiting to be tapped into but again is that whole are they receptive to technology taking over those aspects because we've had the cryptocurrency debate internally for a really long time. You know, like the the narrative before I read the text model is it's it's a it's a solution looking for a problem. But the problems crypto solves are innumerable now since twenty seventeen to now. Like 
you can solve quite a bit with just the blockchain. Some of smokers' problems could be solved quite nicely with the blockchain. I mean, but crypto... But they're, they're not receptive to not at least testing it out. I don't, I don't, I'm not looking at like wide adoption, but just to test it out to be like, okay, we're creating a system where it's going to be internal from external. Uh, we're going to get X number of vendors, um, uh, public traded companies, private and, and startups. Let's bring them together and see what we can do with this. I mean, scale. I think like any government has been kind of resistant towards adopting crypto. But the adoption, yes. Testing, no. They've, <laughs> they've done their tests. Like most yeah. governments have actually tried it out. Nigeria is the best example in Africa. They've launched their own central bank digital currency. I think it's probably one of the first in Africa. Yeah, but then... But they, at least well, they, they're trying, quote-unquote. Well, well, good for them. <laughs> good for them. But we're not there yet. We don't even have, like, a centralized health system. We still write prescriptions on paper. I mean, with and the ways the systems are built, I, I think writing prescriptions on paper is a good thing. Why, why is it a good thing? Because the forgeries... What we what a what, for, what an endemic drug crisis <clears throat> in the country. Okay, and authentication has been solved before. But you know, if you seen the doctor's handwriting, <laughs> it's probably <laughs> chicken scratch. You can you can try. I mean, you can you can really really try and then match. Like if you're motivated enough, you can. And that is exactly why you shouldn't write prescriptions on paper. True, but in Zim, like certain pharmacies now know. So like in the in in, in your area blocks. So for example, Five Avenue. Yeah. Uh, doctor Rignor's handwriting is synonymous. You could like you can. They can just look at it once and just know what it is. Okay, how about having one twenty-eight bit encryption on your and then putting it on every, on every single system? Now you don't now have to bring in, like I said, on testing. The government won't want to test because it costs money and time. Both they don't really have in terms of. Well, I can't really speak on why the government is not receptive towards it, or even if they, or even confirm that they aren't receptive towards it. But I just see like this as a huge potential that could be tapped into, if, if the stars aligned. But why do the stars need to align for a government to try something else? Like I'm not saying that they don't want to do it. They might be doing it on one level or another. But I'm saying the pace at which certain things <clears> can be done. So why I say blockchain is because tax is a big problem, Zim. So an example is VAT. Mm-hmm. VAT fraud is not is is difficult to do, but it's doable. Like I'm not saying I know how to do it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, 2% tax, for example, for intermediate money transfer tax. There were there were banks that were asking customers to pay six months' worth of that tax because they, there wasn't a way to make, to automate that system straight out. Mm. So I'm like, the blockchain kind of solves that because everything can be done at the point of transaction. I mean, you don't adopt the entire blockchain in crypto. You can get a system that looks as near as makes no difference yeah. to that mm. and try it out. How would we just say like a... <clears throat> Like an electronic finance system, and not say blockchain, because. Oh, you think it's the wording? Y- yeah, not blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that, that you could be honest. <laughs> yeah, because blockchain, especially like since you mentioned Bitcoin, I don't know if Bitcoin would be ideal, because the universal currency and we don't govern it, and we need a way to govern it. We're using the USD that we don't govern. So this is like, why not just okay, listen so to the mistakes? No. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes sense on all levels, to be honest. Like, we already use the USD rand in, uh, in Bolivia. You can buy stuff with, with rands. So we already use currencies we don't control. So just throw crypto in there, see what happens. Yeah, probably not good things. People will lose a lot of money and then they will blame it on whatever financial institution is providing the service. But if you remember back in like 2009, when the year the 2010 or whatever, when the multi-current system started, 
Yeah. People lost money because they didn't understand what an exchange rate or the exchange rate was <clears> in, in like what it was like day to day. Yeah. But people caught up. Yeah, but then we should learn from that then. Yeah, let's start putting billboards on how Bitcoin and crypto works. Why Bitcoin? Why? I, I'm just... No. I, I Why not a stable coin? Why not like USDT? Why no, you can do like... The RBZ can do its own central central bank digital currency. Like, I'm, I'll be good with that. I'll be fine with that. But you just want like a financial system running on a blockchain? Not all of it. Parts of it. So we can't like devote all of it to blockchain. But parts of it can, surely. Interesting. I don't know. Interesting. I think there's probably some financial regulations that go into this that I'm just not aware. I, I'm not sure. The only one I, I know can... is that you can't trade with fin- with traditional financial systems. You can't uh, blockchain or crypto startups can't trade trade or transact with them. But is you running by yourself? Hmm. I mean, then it means like if it's a blockchain, then it means we need a network. I know. I know six or seven guys. You know six or seven guys or seven. that are going to be your new RBZ. Yeah, they can try. They can try. <laughs> they can try the <laughs> By the way, RBZ, I'm just joking. Because <laughs> I know people knocking on my door at 1 a.m. I'm, I'm just joking. Yes, they come and pick you up. Yeah. Man, thank you very much uh, for your time. Uh, this was really eye opening. I really enjoyed being here. It was very exciting. Very few people say that. You're one of the few to say that. I was smiling, I was smiling the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, well, I guess. When you're, how long is it for? Can you say first of all? Uh, can I say yes until the beginning of March? So until the end of February. Why? Because I like it here. I'm a son of a soul. What are you talking about? I like it here. Cool. No problems here. Yeah, I like it. I genuinely do like it here. Cool. So I think we could probably get some more guests um, and then do this again. Yes, it would be interesting to like have uh, several opinions and spar. And yeah. I hope a fight breaks out. No, just don't bring PHP guys. I'm bringing them all. <laughs> I'm just bringing them those guys only. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, thanks everyone for watching, listening. Uh, we'll catch you again next time.